it's nice to see the snow falling outside and got to sing a Christmas carol. And so, of course, our passage this morning is about the resurrection, right? So no Christmas story this morning, but the Easter story. And uh, Mike just mentioned that uh, Dave St. Lawrence is going to preach next week on the Great Commission, and we're going to finish up our study in the Gospel of Matthew. So how long have we been doing this? A year or so? And we're finally coming to the end uh, these last couple weeks. So we know uh, God's word is inspired, and sometimes we we view it as a book. Uh, But when we think about the Gospels, they were written by four different men who talked to everyone in their circle and uh, got the stories about what happened in Jesus' life. They, They did interviews. Uh, They talked to the eyewitnesses. And so when we read the different Gospels, we get different accounts. We get different perspectives, different angles on things. And yet they do uh, mesh together in a a very harmonious way. Now, um, a couple months ago, uh, the uh, high school group uh, got to go with Rachel Hawkins uh, over to Bellevue, and they... Uh, went to a youth apologetics conference that I got to tag along uh, to, to uh, chaperone or whatever. I was just a, a warm body. But uh, one of the speakers there, his name is Jay Warner Wallace, and we've actually heard him um, a couple times. And he is a cold case homicide detective. And he's been featured on 2020, I think, I think it's 2020, several times. Um, And he's a former atheist, and he approached the Gospels saying, I want to see what this person of Jesus is all about. And so he read the Gospels, and he didn't read it with the assumption that this was God's word. He read it um, as, as a detective, talking to the eyewitnesses to Jesus's life. And what he found when he looked at the Gospels, is they had, they were reliable, they were independent. Um, it was everything that he would expect in interviewing eyewitnesses. Um, it just came across to him as very credible, and that was really the thing that turned him uh, toward Jesus Christ. And so uh, today, we are going to look at one of those four eyewitness accounts, independent accounts. We're looking at the Gospel of Matthew um, as... Uh, Matthew talks about the resurrection. So let's get into it this morning. If I have a PowerPoint maybe going. Um, So we are looking in Matthew chapter 27, and we're going to look at, um, we're going to start in verse 62. We'll finish up Matthew 27, and then we'll flip over to uh, Matthew 28. So uh, Matthew 27 verses 62 through 66. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away, and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. 
So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. So uh, it is the Sabbath at this point where the scene unfolds. It's uh, the day after Jesus has died, and the Jewish leaders come to Pilate. Now, this is, uh, I don't know if this is a violation of the Sabbath, but this is really sketchy on the Jewish leaders' part here. They're going to the, on the Sabbath to visit Pilate. Um, they're not celebrating their religious day of rest. And it just seems hypocritical, given, given the fact that they gave Jesus such a hard time about him violating the Sabbath, that here they are uh, working uh, to preserve their reputations with Pilate on the Sabbath. And it's interesting here that the Jewish leaders remembered Jesus' prediction about his resurrection. Um, the disciples didn't remember. Uh, in fact, if you read the accounts where Jesus predicts his resurrection, he predicts his death and resurrection, it you never even see, at least that I can remember, you never even see it registering with the, the disciples that Jesus was predicting his resurrection. They, they, they got all frustrated with him about his death, but it's like the, the, red, the resurrection part of it didn't even click with the disciples. And yet it's clicking, or it did click with the Jewish leaders. They knew exactly what he was saying. And it just goes to show God's plan, God's providence, uh, that the disciples would forget, and yet his enemies would remember. And here, they're actually putting God's plan into place right here uh, by uh, meeting with Pilate here. And so uh, they ask for a guard from Pilate. Now, some people say he was just asking for, uh, the Jewish leaders were just asking Pilate for their own temple guard. They wanted to use their own temple guard in this way. But most of the commentators I read said, no, they're asking for a Roman guard to come here. And uh, the Jewish leaders wanted all the authority of Rome behind uh, this guard, behind um, this um, protection of the tomb. And so this guard, uh, the thought is that there would be about four men here uh, two to stand watch at any given time, and two to rest. So they would alternate, they would take shifts, and they would be heavily armed guards. They would be uh, swords and shields and daggers um, and um, very powerful Roman guards here set in front of the tomb. And so uh, they guards go to the tomb, and uh, the tomb is sealed with rope, with wax, and again, it's, it's the authority of Rome that's preventing anything from happening to this tomb. Any tampering will be detectable. And the tomb cannot be opened from the inside, obviously. I mean, if someone's dead in there, it can't be opened. But even if someone was alive in there, it could not be opened. And Matthew uses the word secure here three times. It's an emphasis here that this this tomb is secure, that theft of the body is impossible, uh, that there is no way uh, the body could be stolen. Now, when we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there are many alternative theories that have been proposed to explain different aspects of the resurrection, including the empty tomb. Uh, the main one we're going to talk about this morning is called the conspiracy theory. 
Uh, we'll get into that later. But there is a theory called the swoon theory. And that theory says that Jesus didn't actually die. He was unconscious, and then they put him in the tomb, and then in the cool of the tomb, he revived, and then he came out. Well, we know that that's a ridiculous theory. We know that Jesus was brutalized. We know that he was stabbed in the side, um, and, and blood and water came out. Um, we know that the Roman soldiers knew what death was all about. They knew when someone was dead. And so even here in this conversation between the Jewish leaders and Pilate, they're confirming that Jesus is dead. And you can see, you know, the way the tomb is sealed. There is no way, even if Jesus was alive, there is no way for him to escape. So that's the swoon theory. Um, and it's ridiculous, as are most of the other theories. But it's curious here about this meeting. This meeting is a curious meeting. I wonder why the leaders went to Pilate in the first place. Did they really fear that the disciples were going to steal the body of Jesus? Was that their fear? I mean, the, the disciples had, they were terrified. They had fled, they had run away even when Jesus was alive. And so now um, they're, they're fearing that the disciples are going to commit this crime. Or are they fearing that Jesus' claims might actually be true? And so they're doing something silly here where even if he rises from the dead, he's trapped in there and he can't get out. I don't know. I don't know what was going through their, their minds, but it's interesting to think about. So let's move on to uh, the resurrection passage here. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So we're now uh, to Sunday morning. It's dawn time. And we've got Mary and Mary mentioned here. Um, and Mark mentions uh, Salome as well. And they've come to complete the job that they started on Friday. Um, when Jesus died on Friday, they had had a chance to be part of the burial process, but they had to stop at sunset on Friday because the Sabbath began. And so these women are fretting at home for that whole time from Friday um, sunset to Saturday sunset, just uh, mourning, just unable to do anything. 
And then probably Saturday when the sun went down, they went out and they got all the spices they needed uh, to properly bury Jesus. And Sunday morning, very first thing, they want to finish the job. They didn't really think about how they were actually going to do this. They knew that the tomb was sealed, but they, they just had a desire to be with Jesus. That didn't stop him. That didn't stop these women from wanting to be close to him. They loved Jesus. They uh, wanted to minister to Jesus, even in his death. Uh, I really commend these women for their faithfulness and for their courage. They had no expectation that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. He had been killed a criminal, and in in their minds, this would have been the end. Uh, The disciples had fled even when Jesus was alive, and yet the women approach Jesus even with him being dead. This was a public act as well uh, to um, want to be with Jesus. And these women were heartbroken. They had lost the one they loved, uh, and their greatest need, their greatest desire is to be with Jesus. And that, I think, is just a lesson for us to have the courage of these women. Uh, Let's not be cowards Uh, let's, even in our darkest times, our worst times, let's approach Jesus. Let's be available to God for his use. Now, Matthew, uh, one of the themes or one of the emphasis uh, of the writer Matthew is that Jesus is king. Um, And we see that a little bit here. We see the earthquake. We see this powerful angel that is so fearful that these Strong Roman soldiers, uh, they faint, they pass out. Um, And the angel has a conversation with these women. Now, the women are afraid too. They're shocked. And he tells them, don't fear. And he reminds them that Jesus had predicted his resurrection, that this was to be expected. Now, why does the angel roll away the stone. Is it to let Jesus out of the tomb? Well, no, the tomb was already empty. It was for um, the women and later for the disciples to see that the tomb was empty, that the body was not stolen, but the tomb was empty. Now, there's another theory about the resurrection. Uh, Again, we'll get to the conspiracy theory. That's the main one. We talked about the swoon theory. There's another theory called the wrong tomb theory, that the tomb was empty because the women went to the wrong tomb. It was a tomb that hadn't been used yet. Um, But there's some problems with that. One, the women saw, they were there Friday night, they saw which tomb Jesus was buried in. Number two, this is the tomb where the guards are. So it's obvious which tomb Jesus was at. And then just the fact that it was Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. It was, uh, everybody knew uh, which tomb was his. So that's the wrong tomb theory. Uh, See if you guys like that one or not. Um, And so the women respond to this angel. And they obey the angel and they disobey the angel. They obey because they quickly left to go um, find the disciples. But they disobeyed because the angel told them, do not fear, and it says they had fear and great joy. So they they still feared. Um, And you just, 
imagine the whirlwind of emotions that is going through these ladies. You know, they've, they, their grief has been overwhelming, and they've just been sitting in it for a couple days. There's just a tremendous sorrow. And now they have encountered this angel, and there's just overwhelming fear that's caused these soldiers to pass out. Uh, and so they're filled with fear. He, the angel gives these women a message of hope, and so they're filled with fear and great joy. What a combination, fear and great joy. Um, this hope, this anticipation, what a roller coaster for these women. And I can't help think about, um, about our experience as well. Uh, someday, all of us are going to pass away. We are going to enter eternity. Maybe we will, if we know the Lord, we will have an angelic escort into heaven. Um, how are we going to respond when we are anticipating, when we are thinking, when we are uh, getting close to that moment where we are going to see Jesus face to face? I know I've imagined that moment. I've thought about that moment. I wonder if you have as well. Um, consider that. Consider your response to meeting Jesus face to face. I, I've said this to you before. I imagine that I will uh, give him a big hug, that I will kiss him on the cheek, and then I will fall on my face uh, like these women did and worship him. So think about that for your own life. Do you want to see Jesus face to face? And uh, when you do meet him, how will you respond? So these women encounter Jesus as they are leaving and just a few things about Jesus here. He has his resurrected body. His wounds are healed, but he is still scarred. Uh, Tim, Tim uh, Hart mentioned this this morning. Um, Jesus was, had a physical body, and he still has a physical body. They grab hold of his feet, um, and they worship him. And yet it's an eternal body. It's fit for eternity uh, and it's uh, representative of what our body will be like sometime. Jesus is present right there with the women. The, his relationships with these women continue. Uh, his relationship with the disciples continue. He calls them brothers in this passage. He's not bitter that they all abandoned him. Uh, no, he actually uses the term brothers to describe them for the first time here. And Jesus is God. Um, he accepts these uh, women, accepts their worship of him, uh, and this resurrection has proven is the Father's vindication that Jesus truly is God. These women have been given a unique honor by the Lord. Um, they have encountered a powerful angel. They've been the first ones to see the empty tomb, and now they're the first ones to see the risen Lord. And they take that privilege, they take that honor, and they become the first evangelists. They go and they tell the disciples they, their fear turns to fearlessness, and they have an immediate need to share what has happened. And I can imagine these women, um, all the years that they lived in life, what a story to tell their, their children, their grandchildren, anybody they came in touch with about meeting the risen Lord. Um, what a story for these women. It shows here the immense worth that God places on women. 
he has given them this privilege. Um, We have a world that oftentimes denigrates women. Um, You know, the history of of men and their treatment of women is, is not the greatest, that's for sure. And that was true in this Jewish culture of the day, that, that women were regarded as um, second-class citizens. Their testimony was worthless. Um, and today we recognize that as wrong. And actually, scholars look at these gospel accounts, and they see that the women were the first uh, witnesses, and they say that is a sign of the gospel's authenticity, that if the Gospels have been fabricated. If they had been written uh, hundreds of years later, if they had been embellished by the, those, uh, the, the men of the time, they would have made men the first witnesses to the resurrection. They would have made Peter or somebody else, you know, John, the first witnesses to the resurrection. So scholars today look at these Gospel accounts. They see that women were the first witnesses and it makes it more authentic that this this is not made up here. Okay, our final section here, verse 11 through verse 15 of chapter 28. Uh, While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed, and this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. So the guards, they have a problem. They have been given an assignment, and they have failed. And they don't want to go back to their Roman superiors because it's not going to go well for them. So they go back to the chief priests and the elders. This is a life or death situation for these guards. They could be executed for their failure, and so they need some help. Now, the chief priests, uh, their motives aligned with the motives of the guards. They didn't want the truth to get out as well. They didn't want um, the resurrection publicly known. And so um, so the guards go, they give their report, they tell the chief priests and elders about the earthquake, the angel, the fainting, this must have been a hard conversation, and they didn't actually see the resurrection, but they knew that the tomb was empty. And so the council has to get together and they have to fix this. They have to come up with a narrative to counter the truth. Problem is, they had already done all this work to make the the tomb secure, as secure as they knew how, and it wasn't enough. And so they've got bad options facing them. Their original plan was to prevent uh, the tomb from being, prevent the disciples from stealing the body of Jesus from the tomb. And now their story is, the disciples stole the body from the tomb, you know, despite everything that they did. Um, And it just goes to show that God's plan cannot be stopped, right? God's going to do something man cannot get in the way. And so the story, this new story is the disciples came, 
uh, the guards were asleep, they stole the body, and this is called the conspiracy theory. The conspiracy theory to explain away the resurrection. Now, you guys can probably already spot some of this, but there are problems with the conspiracy theory. And so I'm going to list some different problems here. The first problem is, why would the disciples steal the body of Jesus? What was their motivation? What was the point? Why steal his body, claim he had risen from the dead? Um, What does that accomplish for them? Um, Their hope was in Jesus, and their hope had been dashed. Why create a fake hope and then and then put their lives on the line for that fake hope. It doesn't make any sense. The second problem is the disciples don't have the courage to steal the body. They're afraid. They've already fled for the hills, and no one's around other than uh, the disciple John didn't flee. And so now now that Jesus is dead, the disciples are going to now get all this courage and they're going to take on the Roman guard. I mean, does that sound like the disciples that we know that are going to take on these trained soldiers? The third problem, why would the guards fall asleep? They'd been given one job. You've heard that phrase. You had one job, right? They had one job was to guard the tomb. And that was their whole point. And they just had to do it until the time was up. And they're going to fall asleep. Uh, all four guards are going to fall asleep at the same time. Is that, is that really likely? Then, how did the guards discover that the disciples had stolen the body if they were asleep? How did they know that that was the story? Sleeping people don't make good witnesses to crimes, right? And finally, how did the disciples break the seal, roll the stone away without waking the guards? Um, If all the disciples had been there, they could have rolled the stone away. But um, how could they have done that without waking these guards? It could not have been done quietly. So... uh, that's the conspiracy theory. If you want to uh, reject the resurrection and accept the con- the story that the the Jewish leaders are are telling, feel free to feel free to do that. So, so that's the narrative. And uh, for the guards, it's a bad look. Falling asleep on the job that doesn't that's not a good uh, good tactic for job security there. And so you wonder about Pilate. What, what would Pilate's reaction have been when he heard this story? Well, I think Pilate probably wouldn't have cared, right? Uh, Jesus was dead. He knew that. It was confirmed. And so it wasn't his problem anymore. His work was done in this situation. Not only that, the elders say that, so the elders bribe the guards to peddle the story, and they say they will satisfy the governor in this passage. And that probably means that they had to bribe Pilate as well for his silence. They had to give him a large sum of money to go along with this government story. And so this is the official government explanation for what happened, that the disciples stole the body. So uh, we talked about the conspiracy theory. That's the explanation for the empty tomb. 
Now, there's other theories about the resurrection that are out there that I won't talk about. Uh, over the past 2,000 years, different people have come up with different explanations uh, to explain um, what happened here. And the conspiracy theory is really the first theory. But a theory has to explain the empty tomb. It has to explain how Jesus appeared to more than 500 people. And it has to explain why the disciples were willing to give up their lives, why they were all willing to uh, be martyred, to be killed early for the truth of the resurrection. So on any alternate alternative theory to the actual resurrection has to explain those things. The leaders here, they, they acknowledge it wasn't the wrong tomb. They acknowledge that the tomb was empty, and their theory that they're going forward with is uh, that the body was stolen. So this uh, conspiracy theory becomes the government narrative, and it lasts until Matthew is done writing his gospel, which is about 30 years. So 30 years later, this is still the official government story. And in the meantime, Christianity has spread, and that, that must have been so frustrating for the Jewish leaders that Christianity spread like wildfire. And they could have stamped out Christianity all at once by producing the body of Jesus. But they couldn't do that. They couldn't do that. They didn't go and round up all the disciples for committing this crime of stealing the body. They didn't... Uh, get the disciples to confess to this crime. They never tried uh, to find the disciples. I mean, they even encountered them again, but they never tried to arrest them or prosecute them or anything like that. Um, and so the government suppresses the truth. Uh, the Roman leaders were in on it, the Jewish leaders, the Roman guards, they withhold the truth and they declare this lie. And in the meantime, Christianity spreads. Now, it's interesting, again, this meeting dynamic is interesting to think about. The Roman guards, they saw something supernatural. They experienced something supernatural. They saw an angel that was so powerful that they fainted, and they saw the empty tomb. And yet, they were willing to accept this bribe, right? They were willing to accept this bribe and peddle this story. Now, the chief priests, it's interesting to think about, again, here, what, what was going through their mind? They don't contradict the guards' story. They don't mock the guards for saying, you know, for telling them about this angel and the empty tomb. They don't punish the guards for failing in their duty. So what was going through these leaders' thoughts? Um, well, they knew that Jesus had predicted his resurrection. They understood what his prediction implied. They tried to prevent it with all the power and wisdom and authority that they had, and yet Jesus was gone. And the prediction of Jesus had come true. And these leaders were almost the first ones to know that. And so I want to speculate here about what was going on with these leaders in their mind. I think they knew the truth. I think they knew that Jesus had risen from the dead. They had seen the evidence. They had heard the guards' testimony. And, um, and I think that that was, that was there. 
Um, and even in their response, by not arresting the disciples, they acknowledge that the resurrection is true. And so what do you do when you're faced with that? The resurrection is true. Everything we've been fighting against all these years, it's now happened. The resurrection is true. Well, they abandon logic. They, their response is irrational. They don't consider the implications of the truth of the resurrection. And I think that's true. Um, I think that's true even today, that the evidence for the resurrection is there, um, and yet people are not willing to believe it. This irrational unbelief. They cannot face the truth of the resurrection and all the implications that follow from that. And so instead, they come up with these other theories and they believe a lie. These were intelligent men here, and yet they uh, retreated to cover-up and conspiracy. So just a few final thoughts here. <clears throat> we sometimes sing on Easter the song, He Lives. Um, he lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. And um, the chorus says, You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Now, that's a true statement. That is a true statement for the believer. I know he lives because he lives within my heart. But if someone asks you, how do you know Jesus lives? And you say he lives within my heart, that might not be very convincing for someone. Um, other people can't see our heart. But there's good evidence. There's, there's good um, eyewitness testimony um, that says that the resurrection is a fact. It's a historical fact. Um, the chief priests covered their eyes. They ignored the evidence. They advanced a conspiracy theory. What's also interesting to consider about this meeting is, is there at least one person in this meeting between the guards and the chief priests and elders that came to know Christ? Is there at least one person that did? And I think the answer is yes. Was it a guard? Was it an elder? I don't know. But Matthew had a source for this meeting. He had someone that he interviewed for this meeting. He knew someone in his circle that was there. And uh, that made me think about the verse in Acts, Acts chapter 6, verse 7, where it says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I wonder if one of those priests, or maybe multiple of those priests, were in this meeting here that tried to cover up the resurrection. So, uh, just last thought here, and then I'll close in prayer. Um, back to that youth conference uh, that we were at a couple months ago. Uh, the theme of that youth conference was deconstruction. That's a fancy word that's going around these days in Christian circles, deconstruction. There's been a lot of um, famous... Uh, public Christian figures that have abandoned their faith in recent years. Um, the one that comes to mind is uh, Joshua Harris. Uh, if you remember him, he wrote the book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. He's now kissed Christianity goodbye. Um, and, and so the conference was dealing with this uh, theme of deconstruction. How do we as believers, how do young people as believers, when they're getting assaulted from the culture, 
how do they maintain their faith? Um, and the conference was giving us tools uh, to do that, uh, tools to deal with doubt. And I would say that doubt comes for all of us in some ways. And so I just have this last thought here that when doubt comes for us, when we wonder, is Christianity really true? Um, turn to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and look at the different theories that happen. And if you're rational, if you're logical, if you're an accountant mind like me, it's like, what other alternative is there? Jesus Christ rose from the dead. All the evidence points to that. And if that's true, then what are the implications from that? He is God, and I can do nothing else than uh, give my life to him. So let's pray, and then uh, we will sing and worship to the Lord and thank him for his son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we do uh, thank you for our time this morning. Thank you for the chance to open up your word. Thank you uh, for the victory of the resurrection, Lord. And so, Lord, as we enter into worship now, help us to praise you and thank you uh, for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you uh, for his death um, on our behalf, Lord, and thank you for his resurrection from the dead that shows that we will be resurrected someday, that we will be able to see your son face to face, that we will be able to fall at his feet and worship him. And so we come to worship you now in Jesus' name. Amen.